Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. And the word of the sovereign Lord reads, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following Many trespasses brought justification. For if just for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Theologian Anders Nygren once wrote, Adam is the head of the age of death. Christ is the head of the age of life. As we've been making our way through the through this series in Romans titled The Power of the Gospel, I hope that it's become apparent that the gospel is the message that the world needs to hear. The gospel is the truth that can completely change the world around us. The gospel is the hope and solution for all that ails us and for all that ails those that we know. Because as Paul says, the gospel is the very power of God to save those who believe. The gospel is the power of God, the sovereign king and the creator of the universe. The gospel is the story of how God came into the world and did for us all the things that we couldn't do for ourselves. And he did it all the while we were hating and rebelling against him. God came on a rescue mission to save us while we were running from Him and cursing Him and sinning against Him in horrific ways. It really reminds me of how when you try to rescue like a little wild animal who, when you reach out to help, wants to bite and hiss and, you know, I I imagine that's how we were. We were pathetic, hardened, God-hating creatures, but God in His grace, through the power of the gospel, changed us. God's grace is greater than any obstacle. Which, by the way, is the title of this sermon today. And Brother Matt picked up on that. By the way, we didn't talk about what the message was going to be on. I just give him the text, and then you will hear, you know, the lyrics and the song as we go through here, right? But that's the title of the message, Grace is Greater, which is the truth that we were going to see in this text here, that God's grace is greater than our sin. It's greater than our nature. It's greater than even death itself because by God's grace, by His mercy, He chose to reconcile us to Himself even though we didn't deserve it, even though we deserve His justice. Grace is greater. And I think given where we are in history and given the challenges we are all facing right now and given the stress of the last couple of years, 
This is a truth that we need to hear again and again and again and hold on to. We need to be reminded and remind ourselves that God's grace is greater than all the things that face us even now. So before we jump into this, let's take a moment and remember where we are in this letter, though. Paul wrote, the Romans, wrote this letter to the Romans to completely explain what the gospel is. And in chapters 1 through 4, if you remember, Paul explains it. He gets right to the heart of the matter. He says, the gospel is the bad news that all of mankind is in sin and under the judgment and the wrath of God. But it's also the good news that by faith in Christ and His finished work, um, we are justified and reconciled to God. And then after explaining what the gospel is, beginning in chapter 5, Paul begins to explain the blessings that we receive because of the gospel, which are, as he said, peace with God. Those who are justified by faith have peace with God. If there's anyone in all of the universe you need to make peace with, it is Him. And more than that, not only do we have peace with God, but we have direct access to Him. That's one of the blessings of the gospel is that we're no longer divided from God. There's no intermediary, humanly speaking, that's necessary. The veil has been torn. We have direct access to Him. You get alone with the Lord and speak His name. He hears your prayers. We also have access to all of His grace. And more than that, we have an unshakable hope in the future. And then Paul also says then, if that's not enough, that we've been given the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God in our hearts continually. And then he says that God's love has been demonstrated historically in that Christ Jesus died for us, that we can look back. If you ever wonder if God loves you, just look at the cross. And the answer is a resounding yes. And in addition to that, that we have the blessing of the reconciliation with God. That God took His enemies and made them family. What overwhelming grace that is. God pours out His blessings to us through the gospel. And then in verse 12, Paul begins to explain to us how the gospel actually works. How is it that mankind universally, how is it that we all fail the same way? How is it that we all are by nature's sinners under the wrath of God? Right? And then how is it that mankind can be possibly rescued through faith? And what we saw last week is Adam, who is our first father, is our federal or covenantal representative. Right? And he was placed in a covenant with God, the covenant of works, where God offered Adam life and righteousness if he just would obey Right? And then he offered him that forever, but death and condemnation if he didn't obey. And as we all know, Adam failed. Adam transgressed God's righteous standard and incurred the full penalty. And as a result, sin, Paul says, entered into the world through Adam, and then death entered in through sin, and sin and death spread to all of mankind because we were all in Adam. Not only do we actively sin, we have inherited Adam's corrupt nature because he is our father and our federal head. That's the bad news of the gospel again. 
We are sinners by nature, and none of us can change that. But the good news then, again, as Paul reminds us, is Adam's is, is Adam was a type of Christ. That's how we finished up last week. He made a point to say that Adam was a type of Christ. And as such, Christ then is our new federal or covenantal head. Christ is our new covenant head. And what Paul is about to say in this section is that even though Adam, our federal head by birth, brought death, Jesus, our new head, our new representative, by our new birth and faith in Him, has brought us life. Again, as Anders Nygren points out, I think this is the quote to remember. Adam is the head of the age of death, but Christ is the head of the age of life. And so with that then, let us turn to the text and then begin to unpack it, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, But the free gift is not like the trespass. The first thing I want you to notice when we look at these four verses is that Paul uses the terms free gift and the terms trespass five times. By the way, if you ever want to learn how to study the Bible, one of the quickest ways to kind of, you know, really begin to notice things is just to pay attention in text how often words are repeated or maybe how themes are repeated. When you see words that are being repeated or sentences being repeated multiple times in a short text, you can get a pretty good idea that that's probably important. And what we see here, right, in these four verses, the free gift and trespasses is used five times, right? Not to mention then the term grace is used three times. But I also want you to notice the phrase free gift and trespass. Not only used five times in this short text, Paul uses them in a way to contrast them to one another. Paul uses these two in a way purposefully to create a clear distinction and a contrast. Notice how he's worded this first verse here. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In each instance, Paul is contrasting the free gift of God with the trespass of man to make a larger theological point. But even more specifically, Paul is contrasting Adam, our first representative, with Jesus, our new covenant representative. Now, before we get too far into the weeds this morning, there's something that we need to see, though, in this little detail here. Notice that the trespass is something that mankind has done. Adam sinned against God. We sinned in Adam. The trespass is something that we do. The trespass is the failure, right? That's what we have accomplished. But on the other hand, the free gift is what God has done for us. If there's a truth that we as Christians need to hold on to, and it's easy sometimes for us to lose sight of, it's not what we do for Him. It's what God has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. That is grace. And more specifically, that's the summary of the gospel again. And I, and I say this and I point this out because it seems 
right? This is a point that we so often can lose sight of so easily. For many people, the gospel is the beginning of your relationship with God. You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you were saved by the gospel, and you're like, thank you, Lord. Now that I'm saved, I'm ready for Christianity 2.0. What's next? What do, I need to, what do I need to learn now? Okay, Jesus, I'm saved. Thank you for doing that. But now, what do I need to do? Just listen to the American church. The messages are full of week after week what you need to do for God. And, and, and please don't get me wrong, okay? If you are in Christ, you should be seeking to follow where Christ leads. If you're in Christ, you should be picking up your cross daily and following Him. If you're in Christ, you seek, you should seek to serve Him. If you're in Christ, you ought to pursue personal holiness. If, if you're in Christ, you ought to seek to make Him known to those around you. But hear me, all of that is the overflow of a life that's saturated by the gospel. You see, the thing is, the Christian life never stops being about the gospel. It is always about the gospel. You were saved by the gospel. You were sustained by the gospel. You are empowered to live on mission for Christ by the gospel, and you will be delivered into eternity, into the hope that you have by the power of the gospel. Not by the things that you accomplish here and now. Not by the work that you do. Paul Washer, in a sermon, makes a point to list his credentials very early. He says, you know, I, I head up a missionary organization. I've lived in the mountains of, of Peru. I have preached the gospel to tens of thousands of people. I have built orphanages. I have seen thousands of people get saved. I have done this. I have done that. I have done this. And I have done that. And he says, None of which, not any of it, earns me any favor with God at all because I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's always about the gospel. And what you do for God is the outflow of that. It is never the source of it. You see, it's never been and never will be about what you can do for God to make Him approve of you or love you. It's about you. It's not about you making every effort to obtain some standard of righteousness. So many people think, now that I'm clean, now that I've gotten right with God, it's, it's incumbent upon me to work hard to stay clean. No. It's incumbent upon you to keep your eyes on your hope, which is Christ. As Paul says, what began in us by the Spirit, is it now going to be perfected in your flesh? The answer is obviously no. The point that Paul, that the point of the gospel is that all of our best efforts ultimately fail. We cannot do anything but fall short on our own. Adam proved that. What mankind has to offer God on his own without the help of his spirit ends with trespass. Even the best of our intentions will fail. And so it's not about what we can do. It's about what God has done for us. It's about what God has accomplished for us that we can never do on our own. And we, we call it the free gift because we didn't pay for it. 
We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. That's why it's free to us. It was purchased by God and then given to us by His grace. All we did was receive it as a gift by faith. And that's it. And that is the message that brings you life. That is the message that will carry you through until you go home to be with Christ. Yes, we ought to pursue personal holiness and obedience and, and mission, but, but we're only going to do those things continually depending upon what Christ has done for us. And so this back and forth section that Paul is contrasting, what he's doing is he's contrasting man's failures with Christ's victory. And what we see in this text is that the grace of God is greater than our failures. Can I get an amen to that? The grace of God is greater than all of our failures. I praise the Lord for that every day. Again, Paul says, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now we know that obviously the one man here that Paul's talking about is Adam. And Paul is contrasting him with the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And, but, and, and Paul you know, has just said that Adam was a type of Christ. They are both our federal heads. But what Paul is pointing out is what both of these men have accomplished for us is completely different from one another. The results are polar opposites. Notice that Adam's trespass results in catastrophic consequences. It resulted in the death of every human being. And, and I know we talk about this and we talk a lot about this, but do we really think about this? Do we really understand and make that connection? Do we really believe that? Every human being who has ever lived or ever will live dies because of Adam. What catastrophic consequences. That is beyond even our comprehension. I mean, think about that. Those that you love, those people that you have lost in your life who have passed away, they died because of Adam's trespass. Do you realize that? I mean, we, we know what caused their death, but you know that, that their death was the direct result of Adam's trespass. They died because of Adam's failure. And those who are alive today, including you, and all those that you love will ultimately die at some point for various causes and, and for various reasons, but ultimately the direct cause of that is Adam's sin. One Trespass. That one trespass has the rippling effect that has lasted throughout all of human history. It has sent concentric circles out to the very edges of the universe and it still not reached its terminus. Every time someone dies, it's an echo of Adam's fall. In fact, did you know that worldwide, 120 people will die every minute? That's two people per second. Every half second, 
Every half second, the consequences of Adam's one trespass continue to impact the world again and again and again, and it doesn't stop. It keeps going. That is how catastrophic that first sin was. Which ought to tell us something really important about the nature of sin. Sin always has been devastating and always has had lasting consequences. Sin has devastating consequences even if in the moment you can't see it. I mean, I mean, think about this. Do you think that Adam could have foreseen the billions and billions of people who have died because of his actions? Well, you talk about something hard to live with, right? Do you think that he could have imagined the horror of the Holocaust? Do you, do you think that he could have envisioned the 63 million babies that have been killed in the womb since 1972 in my lifetime? Do you think that he could have seen the children dying of starvation in third world countries? Or maybe the sex trafficking industry? Do you think that he could have foreseen the mind-blowing destructive power of the atomic bomb where hundreds of thousands of people are vaporized in an instant? All of this because of one trespass. Do you think he could have even imagined how devastating that one trespass could have been. No, you couldn't see that. And oftentimes in our own choices, in our own sin, we can't see that either. But all the, the death and destruction is a result of Adam's sin because sin is so destructive and so insidious and so infectious. This, by the way, is why we as, as Christians and as a church cannot afford to minimize sin. Your sin has a cost. It always does. And it always has consequences, even private sin. And it will always have an impact on the world around us. This is why people, why, why we tell people, right, you're free to make your choices. But you're not free to, of the consequences of those choices. This is why we as Christians they're not compromised on what sin is. Not only does it dishonor God, but the consequences of that sin are devastating. This is why we must identify it and talk about it and call people lovingly to repent of it, even though that is not something popular to do anymore. And it's not because we're trying to control people, as so many people say, so tired of that objection. The pushback against the pro-life movement right now is you're just trying to control people's bodies. You're just trying to control women's bodies. I mean, that's what we hear on social media over and over and over again. Right? But the truth is, that's not the issue. We're not trying to control anyone. What we're trying to help you to see is that the taking of an innocent life, an image bearer of God, is a trespass against Him. And that will have devastating consequences whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Consequences for the child and also the mother. One of the things that people don't talk about is the fact is the overwhelming majority of women who have had an abortion suffer devastating consequences because of it. Whether it's emotional or physical. Because no one escapes the consequences. 
Not to mention the consequences felt by the father and their families and even the lost potential to communities and the world. The impact is incalculable. We're not trying to control people when we talk about sin and we're not trying to, to make ourselves feel morally superior when we talk about sin. In fact, if you're a Christian and you're saved by the grace of God, then you are completely, the way, completely aware that you really don't have much to offer in the way of morality on your own. You don't have ground to stand on to think that you're morally superior because you understand who you are and you recognize it's only by the grace of God you are what you are. And so we're not trying to exert moral authority. When we as Christians call sin, sin, we do so because the sin is devastating. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys communities. It destroys marriages. It destroys workplace opportunities. It destroys friendships. It destroys everything in its wake. We are still feeling the rippling effects of that one sin in that moment. How much more than are we feeling the effects of our own sin? As people today are stepping off into eternity, by the way, without the forgiveness because of that. And so we dare not take sin lightly because that one trespass brought sin and destruction to us all. But notice that Paul uses the expression that we translate here as much more. For if many died through one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of the one man, of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, the Greek word that, that we translate here as more actually isn't a word that is so much about quantity, like having more money. It's actually more like quality, like having more life. The fact is the word can be actually substituted for the word better or the word greater. In other words, what Paul is saying it, um, can be expressed this way, much better or much greater than much more. I believe that much greater conveys the point really very clearly. And so Paul, in essence, what he said when he says, for if many died through one man's trespass, much greater have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Or in other words, what Adam did has a huge impact on the world, but what Christ did by His grace and His finished work on the cross has had an even bigger or greater impact. Paul says what Christ did caused grace, the grace of God, the free gift, and the grace and that grace to abound to many or to overflow to many. Right? The word that actually abound here carries with the idea that something is in an excessive abundance. Right? That is not just enough, it's infinitely more than enough. That it goes beyond all unex the unexpected measure. Because of Christ and what He's done, the grace of God overflows. It just pours out to many all over the world. Just as Adam's sin sent a rippling effect throughout the world, Christ's death and life and resurrection sent an even bigger rippling effect throughout the world. Because of Christ's work, God's grace abounds in abundance and it overflows to many people, as Paul says. Right? And so does the free gift, as Paul says. 
that word free gift. We've talked about it, but what does that even mean? What's he referring to? He uses this expression five times in the text here, but what specifically is he getting at when he says the free gift? Well, Paul in verse 17 actually answers the question for us and helps us to really understand the context. He says, those who believe will receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. That's what it is. It is the free gift of righteousness. And if you understand the gospel, you understand that's exactly what we need. That is what Paul has been talking about from the very beginning of his gospel. We need righteousness. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God, the gift of righteousness, is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous, those who are made righteous, shall live by what? Faith. And then he says, right after that, contrasting that, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then in chapter 2 he says, for, their, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who are justified. There's a righteous standard that God has for mankind. And then in chapter 3, he says, but now the righteousness of God, this righteous gift has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul has been making a case that if we're going to be reconciled to God, if we're going to be right with God in a right relationship with Him, we need to be righteous before Him. This is the truth that we must come to terms with. Only those who are righteous before God can have fellowship with Him. Only those who are perfect in His sight can be near God. And that is what God offered Adam in the garden. That was the covenant of works, that if he would be righteous, he would be in fellowship with God forever. But if he disobeyed, he would die. He was offered righteousness, and Adam failed to obtain it. He failed to keep that righteousness that was required to have fellowship with God. And as a result, he was cast out of the presence of God. He was cast out of the garden, which as we talked about is symbolized by the, by the veil in the temple. The veil that has this image of the cherubim that, is, that has been embroidered on it. It's a visual representation of Adam's trespass and the consequences of that trespass. He failed to be righteous and was separated from God along with all of his children because, his, because we, like Adam, failed to be righteous as well. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, none is righteous, right? None. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We, like Adam, failed to obtain the righteousness we, we need. And because we are not righteous, we deserve not a relationship with God, but death, just like Adam. That is the catastrophic consequence that all of mankind faces. That is the problem that plagues the world. The problem that plagues the world is not politics. It's not economics. It is not, it's not culture. It's the fact that none of us are righteous. 
So what's the solution to the problem? The only solution is the free gift of righteousness given to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the solution. We are given, as Paul says, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. You see, Jesus, the last Adam, did what the first Adam failed to do. He secured a righteous standing before God in his life on earth. Jesus kept the covenant of works that, and lived in a perfect obedience to God the Father, unlike Adam. The covenant of works has been fulfilled completely in Christ. And more than that, Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law that everyone else fails to keep. And Christ, in His human nature, earned a perfect righteous standing before God. And that righteous standing, then, is offered to us. It is credited to us as if it's our own. How? By faith in Christ alone. End of story. And this free gift of righteousness, as Paul says here, abounds to us. It overflows to us. This righteousness that God has given us because of Christ is more than enough for us. What we need to realize is, is when you get saved, God doesn't give you a little piece of righteousness that you better hold on to that. Right? Don't you lose it, because if you do, you're in big trouble. Right? No, he's saying that, that this righteousness is more than enough. It overflows, it abounds, it will never be exhausted. So much so that when we stand before God in His sight, we will be perfect, completely righteous, spotless, washed completely clean of our sin, and perfectly righteous as if we ourselves had kept the covenant of works. But it's not because of what we have done or could ever do. It's because of what Christ, by His grace, accomplished for us. The grace of God, right? By the grace of God, His righteousness abounds to us and abounds in us. God's grace is indeed greater than the curse of Adam. As great as that curse is, as impactful as it has been, God's grace is great enough to undo that. But then Paul continues this contrast and says in verse 16, And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Paul says the consequences of the gift of righteousness given to us by the grace of Christ is not like the consequences of the failure of Adam's sin. In, in fact, the consequences are completely at opposite ends of the spectrum. Paul says Adam's sin resulted in judgment, brought condemnation, which is the verdict of guilty, deserving of the punishment, which is death. That's what Adam accomplished. But then the free gift from Christ resulted in righteousness that brought justification, which is the verdict of not guilty, bringing freedom and life. They couldn't be any further apart anywhere in the universe. What Adam accomplished and what Jesus accomplished are polar opposites. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. God's grace is greater. But again, look at how much greater grace is than sin. Paul says, one sin, one 
sin brought judgment upon the entire human race and condemnation. One sin brought judgment. But the free gift of righteousness that came after many trespasses or billions and billions of sins committed by Adam's descendants, even after all that sin, the free gift of righteousness brings justification. In other words, one sin may have had the power to enslave the world, but God's grace is more powerful than even billions and billions and billions and billions of such sins. That's the point that he's making. One sin destroyed everything, right? But billions of those sins can't overcome the power of God's grace because God's grace is greater than our sin. Can I get an amen to that? It's greater than all of our sins. This is why we tell people there is no one beyond the reach of God's grace. This is why we can say that and believe it. This is why we sing the words, there is no sinner beyond the infinite stretch of your mercy. This is why we say that the Christian's job is to what? Sow the seed and love the people and pray for God to change hearts and never give up. Because there is no one ever who is too far gone. I want you to hear me on this. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to my brothers and sisters in Christ lament the fact that there is somebody in their life that they've witnessed to over and over and over again, and they say, I just don't believe they're ever going to get saved. I'm like, are you God? Right? I mean, if it's up to you, it's going to be impossible. With God, all things are possible. There's no one ever too far gone. There's no one that's ever beyond redemption. If you think so, then let me remind you of David Berkowitz. Who remembers who David Berkowitz is? Son of Sam, serial killer, that's right. Just walked up to people with a, a bulldog 44 and just shot him. Right? Hardened, broken man. Somebody began to witness to him in prison, started telling him about how Jesus loves him, and he's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But this man would not give up on him and kept preaching the gospel. And finally, one day in his jail cell, he said, God, if you're real, I will believe in you. Then you just need to just change my heart. And his heart was changed. He now is one of the most prolific evangelists in the prison system right now. And even when he goes to when he's gone to his um, parole hearings, he's he says, you know, like I ask for forgiveness, but I understand if you're not going to give it to me, and I'm not asking to be released because I don't deserve that. But he praises the Lord that even him, even him, there's nobody beyond redemption. There's no one whose sin is so awful that God can't save them. God's grace is infinitely more powerful than all our collective sin. And then Paul brings this section to this resounding crescendo, and he says, For if because of one man's trespass, trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying in this last section that sin entered the world through Adam and death through sin. And he says here that, that when death entered the world, it began to reign supreme over every living creature. In fact, Paul had said that before in the previous section, that, that, that death reigned even before the law was given. And death has been destroying everything and everyone since it came into the world. Death 
has reigned over all things, and its power has been unstoppable. There's not amount, any amount of wealth or prevention or healthy-mindedness or negotiating that has ever been able to stop the power of death. Everybody who was alive 150 years ago is dead. You realize that, right? 100 years from now, everybody in this room will be dead. The power is unstoppable. In fact, as the old saying goes, we recognize this, right? There's only two things that are certain. What? Death and taxes. Why do we say that? Because you're going to pay taxes and you're going to die, period. Right? The truth is that death hunts us all. And the fact is that life really ultimately is a terminal disease and nobody's getting out of here alive. This, by the way, is the truth that so many people fail or just don't want to acknowledge when they live their best life now. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that they are, are sinners who are going to die. Because of Adam's sin, everyone is born under the power of death and everyone ultimately will pay homage to death itself. Everyone will close their eyes one last time and take that last breath. But for some reason, there are people who think that somehow, someway, if they'll just ignore the truth, that they're immune to that. They ignore the fact that they will die and they, they live as if there's no consequences. But everyone will succumb to the power of death someday. And for those of who are in their sin, those who die in a state of sin, they will forever remain under the power of death. They, were, they will be prisoners forever of that master, forever their loyal subject, because that is what they rightly deserve. As Paul says, the wages of sin, what we rightly earn is death. And those in their sin will never escape its grasp. Death is powerful, and the power of death can be seen all over the world. Again, every second, two more people step off into eternity. Every second, two more people. Death has been reigning since the fall, but notice Paul says those who receive the abundance of grace, the grace of God, and the free gift of righteousness, those people are no longer subject to death, but rather reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If there's something you heard today, then let it be this, all right? If you're paying attention, you ought to really draw close and, and take notice. Paul isn't just saying that death no longer reigns over those who are in Christ, right? I mean, if that's all he said, that would be awesome. That would be wonderful, right? But that's not what he said. He said, because of the grace of God and the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life through Jesus Christ. We will reign. Death reigned. We will reign over death itself. That's what Paul is saying. Do you, do you hear me? Those who are in Christ will reign and rule over death itself. We will reign with Christ over the consequences of Adam's sin, right? which is death. As we sang this morning, death in cannot defeat us. Death has no dominion ultimately over us. 
I mean, this flesh today will succumb someday, but death cannot hold you because it couldn't hold Christ. Death will not be able to keep you in the grave forever because it couldn't keep Christ. It will not be able to contain us because it didn't contain Christ. By faith, we are given the life of Christ. By faith, we are not in Adam. By faith, we are in Christ. And just as just in Adam, just as in, in Adam we died, in Christ we are now alive. And through that life, the life that we're given in Christ, we will reign over death itself. God's grace is greater than the result of our sin, which is death itself. God's grace is greater. That's the message you need to take with you and hold on to. God's grace is greater. Now, if that doesn't move your heart to glorify and worship God, I do not know what will. Adam, our federal head by birth, failed and drew us into sin, judgment, and condemnation and death. But Jesus, the last Adam, our federal head by new birth, drew us into righteousness and justification and a life that is so powerful that it rules and reigns over death itself forever. Praise the Lord for that. What a glorious truth. What a hope-giving revelation from the Word of God that man by his actions earned death, but Christ by His grace grants us life. That is the gospel. That is our hope. But what do we do with that then? Because my, my goal isn't to just simply to amp you up and then have you feel better and then go to lunch. How do we live in light of this truth? I have two things to offer you. Number one, since God's grace is greater, then we just need to walk in that grace. It's easy to get fatalistic and see what's happening around us. It's easy for us to become pessimistic and think that nothing is ever going to get better. It's easy for us to be consumed with what the world has to offer now. But grace is greater. Which means if you're not in Christ, then you need to repent and believe the gospel and put your hope in Christ. Because when you do, then you will move from being judged to being righteous, from condemned to justified, from dead to alive. By faith in Christ, you too can be set free from the penalty of sin and the power of death, and you can have peace with God and life eternal. Simply repent and believe. But if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, then live as if God's grace is greater. Live for Him. By His grace, you were justified and made righteous. You reign over death, which means you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. The world ultimately cannot harm you. I mean... It can certainly kill your flesh today, but it cannot ultimately harm you. As the Word of God says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. God's grace is powerful enough to undo sin and death, and is powerful enough to deliver you all the way to glory. So walk in boldness. Live out in the open for Christ. Share the hope of Jesus, the hope that He has given you. 
The world needs, I want you to hear me, the world needs for you to bear witness to God's goodness. Not more hotshot preachers. The world needs for you to share the hope of Christ. So walk in grace. Secondly, since grace is greater than, than anything else, what greater gift can you give than grace? The truth is we all need to give grace away. We love grace when we're receiving it. Sometimes we don't love it so much when we have to give it away. But you want to know how to change the world? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's not going to be through politics. I mean, ultimately, politics has its place, but really, we're not going to get to where we need to go. We're not going to see the lasting change we are hoping to have through politics. It's not going to be through demonstrations. It's not going to be through controversial and snarky social media posts, as funny as some of those things can be. It is by extending grace to all those around you. about giving that grace to all that you come in contact with. Even those people that offend you. Even those people who irritate you. And those people who frustrate you. And even those people who are against you. Even those people who will talk trash behind your back. Even those who are called your enemies. Now, I'm not saying that this is an invitation to be a doormat. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt be a doormat, right? In fact, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt be nice, right? That is not the 11th commandment. What I am saying is that when the world offers you insults and injury and frustration, you have a choice that you can give back the same, or you can do as Christ has done to you and offer grace. Give grace, not because they deserve it. Because guess what? You didn't deserve it. We give grace because God has given abundant grace to us. Grace is greater than failure. Grace is greater than the curse. Grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than even death, which means it is greater than whatever the world can throw at you. And so let the power of God's grace continue to transform you in your life and watch how it will transform the world around you. Let me pray for you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.